Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. It is good to be together. My goodness. Uh, thanks for leading us in those uh, songs and leading us to the throne of God this morning. So uh, those of you who've been here a couple of years, uh, you probably have picked up on the things that, um, well, let's just say this, every pastor, every preacher has, I think, uh, I used to call it a soapbox, but I actually, I think, as I've gotten older, I actually don't see it as a, in a negative light as much, and maybe that's just because I want to justify it. But um, I, I think there are things that God lays on different people's hearts for the church uh, for different time periods and in different ways. And so, for instance, when you, uh, when you talk to Conrad, you know, uh, his heart for people's hearts comes through. And uh, when you talk to me, <laughs> I mean, those of you, I think it was a couple of years ago, I warned uh, the students here that basically this year, not, not this year, but that year, I was going to spend my time, any time I got with you, talking about the church. Uh, because that... I want to see God's people embrace his kingdom in the way that that kingdom comes through here. Additionally, over the last year and a half, this idea of courage and this idea of preparing for uh, persecution and holding fast to the commitments that we have in Jesus, those things have filled, uh, filled my heart as I think about you guys specifically and where God's leading you and where he's taking you. So uh, this morning, uh, I won't tell you which direction I'm headed, but I want to start with a story. Uh, several years ago, um, I took a group of people over to Jordan from our church that I was pastoring. And while we were there, we were visiting with uh, a lot of refugees that had come in from Iraq and Syria. And so the organization we were with was helping those people. And we heard lots of stories about God, what God was doing amongst his people and uh, heard this story about a young Iraqi woman who was about your age, either late teens, early 20s, I don't remember. And actually, I should warn you, uh, I did not write this story down at the time. And so I am getting the general principles correct to you, but I'm sure if somebody there conveyed the story or heard me tell the story, they would think to themselves, Jeremy, you got this detail wrong and that detail wrong. So I'm asking your forgiveness already. And just saying, I know the general, general story here is correct, uh, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm getting all the details correct, so I'm trying to be careful with those. But anyway, this young woman had come from Iraq. She was a refugee, and she, was, she found herself in Jordan to escape ISIS, and she had come there, and she was part of the Iraqi Christian church there that worshipped the, with the, uh, the organization that we were uh, helping or, or visiting. And one night, uh, this Iraqi young woman had a dream. And in the dream, she was told by God to go uh, to Sudan and confront President Omar al-Bashar, giving him a message that he is to stop persecuting. This is a message from God in the dream. She is to tell him, you are to stop persecuting my people and rule justly, or I will bring your rule to an end. <laughs> Sounds a little Old Testament. And when I heard somebody tell me that, I was like, <clears throat> well, this will be an interesting story. Because uh, I'm not, you know, I don't hear about those sorts of things very frequently. 
Now, what you need to know is that uh, for many years, Sudan was the place uh, of what many people around the world considered to be a genocide. And it was engaged in a really long period of intermittent civil war uh, with South Sudan. And you might remember hearing about the Darfur uh, region of Sudan. Well, anyway, Omar al-Bashar was an Islamic dictator. And uh, through his army and the militias that he was supporting, uh, they would at various times sweep through and destroy entire villages and kill off everyone that they could find. And it's estimated that during his presidency, he was responsible for the death of around 2.5 million Sudanese, uh, ethnic and religious minorities, uh, many of them Christians. And in fact, over 2 million refugees left Sudan under his dictatorship. He was a powerful and feared leader. And at this time, he was uh, so corrupt that the International Criminal Court issued a call for his arrest. So in this setting, that's the setting, right? So this young Iraqi woman has a dream in which she's told by God to go and confront this president of Sudan, a country she'd never visited, uh, confronting this powerful and terrifying leader with a message from God. And so she came to the church leaders there at the, the mission and she said, I had this dream. <laughs> what do I do with this? Because it was so vivid that she didn't feel like she could let it lie. And they said, well, if you're convinced that this is from God, then go. So here's this young woman, late teens or early 20s, your age, and she heads off for Sudan with very little money. And by God's grace, somehow she gets to Sudan. And she gets to a city there, I don't remember which one, and she finds a family that takes her in. Because I mean, she has virtually nothing, and she's this young woman wandering around in this foreign country. And this family takes her in, and the mother of the family asks her why she came to Iraq. And she tells her, well, I've been sent by God with a message for the president of this country. You know, <laughs> I don't know how you respond to that. But anyway, uh, this, of course, surprised the household. But as God works these things out, the lady of the house was actually a close friend of a relative of President al-Bashar. Additionally, it so happened that it was the month of Ramadan, and during Ramadan, Muslims spend the days fasting, and then they feast at night with extended families and friends. And when the mother of the house contacted her friend, she discovered that President al-Bashar was scheduled to celebrate Ramadan at her friend's house within the next couple of days. And so she informed her friend that uh, there was a young Iraqi woman that showed up at their house with a message from God for her relative, the president, and uh, that she would come to that house uh, on this appointed night of his arrival. And sure enough, on the appointed knife, a night, uh, this young Iraqi refugee walked to the household where the president of Sudan was celebrating Ramadan. And she walks up to the gate and she asks for a word with the president. So he comes out of the house uh, to meet this young prophet, and she delivers God's message to him. Can, I mean, can you imagine that? Like, I'm hearing this story, and I'm thinking, this young woman, <laughs> there's either a screw loose, or, I, you know, I don't know. Who does this? And as the story goes, President Bashar received her message and actually brought her into the house and fed her, and then sent her away for the evening. And in the coming days, it was reported that in fact, he did change course and lessened the pressure that his government was putting on Sudanese Christians. Interestingly though, in 2019, there was a coup and he was overthrown and uh, later convicted of I mean, a whole list of things in a, a criminal court of law. 
But I heard this story for the first time, and I so clearly remember wondering, would I have the courage of that young woman to do what she did? And where does that kind of courage come from? Like, how is that developed in us? And what kind of commitments and convictions shape that kind of response to God's mission within us? So uh, I want to... read from Matthew chapter 13 here this morning. And as we do that, I mean, I'd like to read the first nine verses and then skip to verse 18, where Jesus interprets what he's saying. Uh, And I want to read that. So as we read, would you mind standing with me as we read from the scriptures this morning? And I want us to to notice a few parts about this quite familiar passage of scripture and story that Jesus tells. So uh, listen in as I read. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, and while the whole crowd stood on the shore, uh, he spoke. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit. Some a hundred, some 60 and some 30 times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. And if we skip to verse 18, Jesus interprets this parable that he gives. And he says this, so listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root. And it's short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. You may be seated. So in scenario one, the heart of the individual has become so hard that they can't make sense of the good news. And by the way, something for you to think about, uh, slightly unrelated to the theme of the message this morning, but at this time in the fields where Jesus' parable would have taken place, these fields were wide open areas and there would be pathways that would wind through the fields that allowed people to get to the place that they were seeking to go. And this, what I'm about to say, might be extra biblical, but I still think it's true. The question is, what creates the pathways in the field on which this seed fell that didn't take any root? Well, what creates pathways is the walking of people consistently over this ground that hardens the heart of people. And I've wondered, What often hardens the hearts of people to God and others and the message of the kingdom? Well, isn't it frequently when people have been 
walked on. Over and over, their hearts have become hard and protective and hardened. And what these hard hearts usually need is kindness and the love of others to break up the soil so that it's able to receive the gospel. That's scenario one. People reject the gospel because their hearts are hardened. In scenario two, I'm skipping, uh, excuse me, in scenario three, I'm gonna skip scenario two for right now. People become so distracted by life that they lose focus on the good news of the kingdom and that good news gets choked out of their lives, right? So they're distracted by life and the responsibilities they have. And specifically, Jesus says that the lie of gaining wealth is a critical part of having the kingdom choked out of us that it causes the kingdom focus to lose out in our lives. Let me add another comment here. Your peers and many of your peers' parents and perhaps maybe some of your own parents are in significant danger of falling into this trap. It used to be, for instance, that young adults used to freely give a year or two or three of their lives to focus on mission work, to focus on service, maybe they go serve somewhere, or to focus on biblical study, but increasingly, the church, the church has become so terrified of their young people falling behind economically that they encourage their young people not to do those things. Don't waste your time. You need to figure out how to make sure you get ahead economically and get sustainable that way. So you and your peers are pushed to get good jobs, to build as much wealth as possible, and you can figure out the Jesus stuff along the way, right? That's not healthy. It leads to the choking out of the kingdom priorities and the choking out of your faith. Now, I'm not saying that you or all your peers uh, have to go into missions or have to give a year of service. I'm only begging you to consider carefully how you spend, especially these formative years of your life, preparing to serve God the remainder of your life. That doesn't mean that you have to be irresponsible. It doesn't mean you shouldn't get a job. I'm only asking you to think carefully about what you're prioritizing. In scenario four, of course, you have someone who loves Jesus and the message of the kingdom of God invades their life. It's central and they can't be stopped. Have mercy. I hope that's us. But what's up with scenario two? the rocky soil, right? The stuff that people were excited to receive the gospel, but the, the soil was barely there. It was really rocky. Sun comes out, scorches this plant that had grown up really beautifully, and the thing dies. Why doesn't it last? Well, Jesus says that these are the people with no roots. Well, what's the evidence of not having roots? Well, the evidence is that when trouble comes or persecution these people don't last, right? So when stuff gets tough, when things that require courage occur, when difficult callings come your way, people with no roots, they wilt. Self-preservation and self-interest kicks in. And this kingdom stuff, you begin to think, well, it obviously doesn't work. It's not working for me. And so you check out because you wanna do the stuff that works. These people lack courage. So one of the realities of kingdom life is that it requires courage. Not only will others question the legitimacy of your convictions, your motives will at some point be questioned as a believer. Your commitments to the, uh, the ethics of Jesus will be questioned, perhaps most intently by yourself. You'll wonder, are these things real? 
Your calling will be questioned. In fact, your calling will lead you into pain. It will lead you to places where you get pressure, where you're put in spots that don't make sense and that are really difficult and you'll have to figure out what's going on. Just because you get a calling, just because you feel like you're walking in your calling does not mean that you're going to avoid difficulty. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a calling into pain. If you read Hebrews 11, those of you who, is Hebrews happening now or was it happening? Yeah, it's happening, happening now. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, right, you read of all these great people of faith. What does the Bible actually say about how successful they were in their callings at the time of their being alive here? Right, the Bible tells us that all these people, the reason they're considered people of faith, great people of faith, heroes of the faith, is not because they died having seen the promise of God. No, they all died not having experienced what they'd hoped to have experienced. And yet, they're heroes of the faith because they kept going. They kept believing the promises of God, even though their eyes seemed to be telling them something different in the here and now. So I was going to tell you, man, we, chapel service is short today. Keep going. Okay, I, I, I wanted to tell you just a couple stories and then pull it together. Um, these are things and principles of courage that all of us have to learn. I pastored for 12 years, and I loved the church that we were at and that we had the opportunity to pastor. They're just a, a beautiful group of people. But I will say this, it was a very comfortable situation. Our church had a lot of wealth. And not once did I ever wonder, is this place going to fold? Am I going to get my paycheck? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't wonder those things. I actually, uh, like looking back, I realized I didn't, I don't think I ever asked that question, had a concern about resources. Well, when we were called to Rosedale and invited to step into this place, it was very different. Um, we came at a time when um, RBC was sort of on a knife's edge. We didn't know if we could keep going. And some of you have heard this story before, but I remember uh, one of the first months talking with Linford, who's our CFO, and uh, Linford came into our office and said, we, my office, we need to go over the numbers. We looked over the numbers, and like internally there was a sense of panic that started to happen. <laughs> this is impossible. I, like how, I don't even know how we go on. And I went home that night and I tossed and turned in my bed and I wondered, okay, we moved four children, I bought a house, and <laughs> I don't see how this works out because we are hemorrhaging money and I don't see a way to turn, like to sew up the, the leak. And, uh, and I just sensed God say, you just need to worship Jeremy. So I thought, well, that's better than this anxiety attack that I feel coming on. And so I just started thanking God for all that I could think to thank him for. And pretty soon I went to sleep. And I kind of, you know, pushed it out of my mind because what else do you do? You, these are not problems you can fix in a moment. The next month, Linford comes in and we go over the numbers again. And I feel this same like, ugh, 
what this what are we doing this is this is impossible and i go home and i have the same i'm lying awake at night tossing i don't know it's three in the morning and you know i sense that little voice saying jeremy you just need to worship all right that's better than what's going on currently so start you know thanking god for all i can think to thank him for and uh in that time it dawned on me i i Assume it was God's spirit just saying, Jeremy, this is not your deal. This is mine. Rosedale's not yours. <laughs> it's mine. And if I want it to go on, it will go on. And if I don't, you be faithful. All right. Again, you know, we're not assured success. That is not a guarantee for us, even when we're faithful, right? But the job for us is to be faithful and let God deal with the consequences of that. That lesson I had to learn that courage looks like getting up and facing difficult things, <laughs> facing them with the realization that my job is to be faithful before God. It was a few months later. I just got to tell you this story. A few months later, Linford comes in again. He was the bearer of a lot of bad news that year. And uh, it was the spring. And he says, Jeremy, um, you know, we're going to run into a cash flow problem this summer. And by that, he means we're not going to be able to pay people because we don't have enough money. <laughs> and I thought, well, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. And it was toward the end of the week. And uh, so it's just like, well, this is God's deal. And uh, lo and behold, Monday morning comes and in skips Bethany. And she was the Heather of that time. And she's like, Jeremy, look at this. And over the weekend had arrived a check for $50,000. And I thought, well, there's the Lord providing <laughs> and carrying us through. Because uh, we don't get checks for $50,000 every day. Uh, anyway, all that to say, what I'm trying to say is that courage does not mean ease. <laughs> courage actually is something we have to learn. I had to figure it out. I didn't realize sort of the spiritual some of those lessons that I had to learn early on here, and I'm still needing to, to relearn on occasion. And I'm telling you that to encourage you that your time will be there as you come to Christ and invest in his kingdom and make his kingdom central, you will be called to step into courage. Courage asks us fundamentally to put the desires of God ahead of our own. That's what courage is. Without courage, your faith will not develop. You will wither and die. You, in other words, if you never go out on a limb for Christ, and I'm not talking about being crazy and you know, just doing stuff to do stuff. I mean that when you know something is right for Jesus and you decide not to do it because it doesn't make sense and because it doesn't fit and it requires, it has a potential high cost. If you don't make those decisions, your faith will eventually, eventually atrophy, like the, the plant in the, in the second scenario that Jesus talked about. Courage is a virtue that has to be cultivated. So, so why am I telling you this stuff? Well, I have a genuine burden for you all. On one hand, because at this stage in your life, most of you are making some really big decisions. But also because stuff, and I've told you this before, is hitting the fan in your generation 
A significant number of your peers are atheists, agnostics, or involved in some weird spiritualism that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Furthermore, you've grown up in a time when Christ's church has valued earthly political power over single-minded allegiance to Christ and his kingdom. And it's going to create blowback and you're going to be despised by culture, even as you help bring the church back to its rightful commitments. Following Christ, I really believe is going to cost you. Your friends and your neighbors will increasingly think of you as bigoted, narrow, ridiculous. And you'll have to figure out what you really believe about Jesus. You're gonna to have to grow roots, commitments, because things are changing and the life of a follower of Jesus is going to be different for us than it's been for previous generations. By the way, some comfort for you, that's normal. It's been normal for Christ's people for, since the church was founded. So don't freak out like this is some weird moment in history. It's not. It's normal. So how does a person practice courage? I want to end with a few instructions to help you cultivate a more courageous life. More than anything, <laughs> this sounds simple, but get to know the real Jesus. Not just I want to say this carefully. Chloe talked about acquiring knowledge. That is so key. But there's also a first piece of developing a life in God, a life of prayer, a life with God. And that, that, that you, want, you, you want to add knowledge to that because it helps you know who God actually is. But don't replace life with God with knowledge about God. Don't let that happen either. Develop a life with God. Get to know the real Jesus, the one that inspires holy fear, not the pansy pushover, but the one whose glory compels you to bow down before his authority with reverence and awe, with intimacy. Right, I believe we need a reawakening of the majesty of our king to seek him in your Bibles and in your prayers and in your living to seek the real Jesus who's holy. He's both love and truth. That kind of understanding of God and life in God will breed in us a holy courage that we need for our life and faith. Second, my admonition to you is the same that I gave you at the first message of this uh, term. Beware of materialism. Beware of it. Again, one of your generation's defining challenges, I believe, will be your love for money and stuff. And when your love for money and stuff comes to fruition, it conditions your soul to avoid spiritual risk. If you love your stuff, you won't take the risks that God's calling you to. Because you're going to lose your stuff on occasion. And you're going to decide it's more important to play it safe than to pursue the things of the kingdom. Don't get sucked into a life where money is your primary aim and stuff becomes your drug. It will kill your courage. Third, spend time with other people who are courageous because courage is contagious. Spend time with other people, followers of Jesus, who live out their faith in intentional ways. Find those people. Get yourself around them. And fourth, and here might be the most important exercise, apart from pursuing a genuine walk and life in God, act on the things that move your heart. Believe that God 
is at work in you, refining your spirit, your desires, your affections. And he's given you those things. So move in them. <laughs> move in them. In C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, there's this demonic being that instructs other demonic beings on how to destroy a person's soul. And he says this. So it's like the devil's instructing his, his uh, demons on how to destroy y'all's souls. And the devil says this. The more often that your subject feels without acting, the less he will ever be able to act. And in the long run, the less he will feel. Pay attention to the people that you hurt for. Pay attention to the passions that are in you. You may be wrong about them, by the way. <laughs> But figure it out. Talk to others who love Jesus and have walked with him longer than you have. And when you do figure it out, act on it. Don't be lazy. Don't be cowardly. Find some way of addressing those things. And when you act, when you follow through, you're helping to build your courage and roots and convictions. So act with courage, y'all. I, I sincerely, I, I love you. And I love what God's doing in each of you and the callings that he's placed there. And I believe that God's raising you up for significant work in his kingdom and among his people. And the church needs you. The church needs your passion, your rootedness. You know, I, I think that's enough. The church needs you. Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you for so much, for the, the courage of your son on the cross on our behalf. I thank you so much for every young woman and every young man in this room that you are shaping, that you're giving roots to. God, I, I plead with you for those who are struggling in this room, struggling to know what's next, struggling to feel like they're feeling anything right now, struggling with the challenges of homework, of tests, of papers, perhaps struggling with relationships, perhaps struggling with battles that just feel completely overwhelming. God, would you rescue? Would you help us love you through those? Would you help us trust you through those? And I pray that you would be doing a work of courage in the lives of students and staff and faculty so that we become the, the plants that produce a hundred times what you've given us in you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.